thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And strap yourselves in today, listeners. Now, you know when I get excited, it's something to really get excited about. Today, we've got the amazing Associate Professor, nonetheless, Peter Stapleton. Now, Guys, Peter Stapleton is going to be talking to us about all things um, health, wellness, and the psychology of wellness. And I'm not going to give away too much because Dr. Peter Stapleton has got a really spectacular take on what Eastern philosophy introduced into Western solutions, but was kind of, I don't know, poo-pooed many, many moons ago as something a bit woo-hoo. But what I love about today's show is that Dr. Peter Stapleton is going to be bringing the science behind this particular strategy, which most of you guys will have heard of. But if you haven't heard about it, I'm sure Peter's going to explain everything to us about this particular process so that you can learn how to do it for yourself, you can learn how to do it for your family and start to make a massive difference to your own health and well-being. So welcome to the show, Peter. It's so wonderful to share the space with you. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's lovely to have three interviewers instead of one. Be very afraid. <laughs> Be very great. <laughs> well, Peter, I would love to, to know, just in following up from beautiful Karen's intro, is just give us a bit of a background as to who you are, how you got into psychology, perhaps what led you down the path that you're in, and what's been the most phenomenal things that you've learned along the way? Yeah, love to. Um, Don't often talk about where it all started in the beginning these days. So ultimately, way back in the beginning, I'm a clinical and health psychologist now, but way back in the beginning, I watched way too many law shows. Does anyone remember LA Law with Corbin? Anyone yeah, remember yes. out there listening? Yes. <laughs> and um, had, had illusions that perhaps I'd quite like to be in a, in a um, courtroom. And I'm an introvert at heart. So anyone that does know me doesn't believe that. But I'm an introvert. I just sort of live a public life. But I thought, no, no, I quite like the idea of defending people. Anyway, applied to go to university, got into law did the first sort of 12 months and thought, oh, this is very dry and boring, not sure it's my cup of tea. And it was my mother at the time. I said, what am I going to do? And she said, why don't you do this psychology 101? She was reading through the handbook. And I'm like, what's that? You know psychologists, didn't know anything about human behaviour, certainly wasn't taught at school. And it just sounded a bit like common sense. So I guess I kind of thought, oh, look, you know, we'll see how we go. Did one subject, absolutely changed the whole course of my life and um, did the rest of my degree in psychology. And I was the only person I knew at the time um, and in many, many kind of generations who knew what a psychologist was. Nobody knew what it was. It just sort of wasn't the hot topic that it is these days. And certainly now schools, high schools offer it as an elective, like the students get to do psychology. So I think it made a lot of sense to me uh, and part of my journey, um, perhaps, you know, and there was some study that came out many years ago that said 50% of people that study psychology do it for themselves to change their own life and the other 50 are obviously doing it to go and help others. 
So I think I picked up along the way lots of things uh, that could help me personally that I just hadn't come across, hadn't yet found self-help books or anything like that. So it certainly um, changed my life as far as, you know, thinking outside the square. Why do we do certain things? Why do some people have motivation, other people don't? So it just made so much sense. And psychology is obviously much more than common sense, but at the same time, I think it gave me so much personally that if I went back and did it all over again, there's no way I'd be a lawyer. I'd certainly um, take this path any day of the week. Well, I can. I think it's horses for courses, isn't it? And I did. I did six months of the girls may not believe this, but I did six months of business law at uh, university when I first left school. And I can tell you here and now, it was one of the most boring things I'd ever mm. done. <laughs> but I just want to ask you, in relationship to your psychology degree and everything, and going down, as Karen would say, the rabbit hole in understanding human psych and the way that we tick and what makes us, you know, who we are. Can you answer me this question? Mm. Why is it that some people we absolutely connect with straight away and other people, even before they open their mouth, can be the most irritating person you've ever set eyes on? <laughs> What's that phenomenon? <laughs> I do think we've all had that happen. Um, people definitely have patterns in their lives. So um, I talk about it being like an invisible magnet. We just we grow up in the first couple of decades of our life. We're heavily influenced by people around us because we're in quite hypnotic brainwave states for the first seven to ten years of life. So no matter what we're exposed to, we have no idea if it's good or bad. We just take it on all those messages. What we do as adults, though, that people don't realise, is we unconsciously seek other people's situations to match what's already kind of been hardwired in those first couple of decades of life. So that's where, you know, and people might laugh thinking about it. You might look back at your dating history and kind of go, yeah, I've always kind of picked the same partner. That Why is that? Even though I consciously try not to pick, you know, that type of person or whatever, I always tend to. And it's because that part in the unconscious brain seeks it out just to match what it already has as your reality. So the good news about this is exercise is another example. You know, people go out there and consciously try to do something different, but kind of default back to what's already hardwired. But the good news is you can change it. So I think for a long time, medicine certainly gave us the idea that um, once the brain was hardwired, that's it you were kind of done, you just were lived or doomed to live out all of your repeating patterns. But we now know uh, you can change all of these behaviours, you've just got to change them at a, at a deeper unconscious or subconscious level. Um, so that's why it happens. I call it the invisible magnet. It's kind of like it's in you and it's looking for other magnets. So sometimes you meet someone and they just don't fit what you're used to. So you instantly kind of go, nah, don't like that person, yet you might not have any rational explanation for it, whereas others you meet and kind of go, I feel like I've known you, you know, half my life and you've only had three words, that kind of thing. So that explains why it happens, but um, the good news is you can change it if you want to. So if I don't like somebody, I can change <laughs> if you that hard to. wiring. Like, and and it's, yeah. not, it's not, you know, and Kim's right. Like some people you are just so attracted to, you want to spend time with, you lo you know, and then there are other people you kind of go, oh, that's enough. And, and so we can change that hard wiring mm. 
I'll tell you a place that might be handy because people might be going, why would I want to change that? Why would I want to like that person I don't like? Maybe a work situation might be a good example that say you, you love your job or you love, you know, what you do, but perhaps there's someone in that work environment that for whatever reason you just can't seem to get along with because of those things that we're talking about. You could work out what is it, who who does this person remind me of, and you could certainly change that reaction within yourself. So that might be uh, an example where it would actually be, it could be a useful thing to do, particularly if you didn't want to change jobs just because of a person there that you couldn't click with. And that and that is doing the technique that, that you talk about um, and what you've done all your research with. Or is yeah, there that, more to a, it? No, that, that, that is one, and I know we're going to get into it. That is definitely one uh, type of psychology technique, anything that can change, and there's certainly lots of other ones out there as well. I was impatient, I guess, back in the beginning when I was looking for things that worked for my clients. So anything that um, can kind of really dive deep into the unconscious and just change it at that level means you don't have to use willpower moving forward and I'm into that I'm kind of like oh it's not enough willpower to go around so anything that will change it unconsciously means it's changed for good you don't have to think about it again it'll just sort of become a natural state for you so I know we're going to get into talking about some of those today yeah, and, you know, I think everybody wants that. Like, everybody yeah. wants that magic pill. Nobody seems to want to work hard anymore. Like, mm. I just, that's, I know some people do, and I've seen people work really hard, but other people just want that pill to make them feel better, do better, look better, you know, have a better partner, um, and the whole, or have better finances. They just want a pill, a one-stop pill. Mm. And I think if we can make it easier, especially, you know, when they start doing an exercise or nutrition program, uh, and, you know, they're feeling great, they're feeling wonderful, they're doing amazing things, and somehow they sabotage themselves. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If we can help that, I think, you know, we'll, we'll make some movement as far as the obesity crisis goes. Um, you know, chronic pain is increasing, you know, one in four Australian adults now. Like all those health areas will start to respond because we're actually empowering them to take, you know, those changes that they can change these things. It's They're not necessarily genetic um, kind of situations that can't be undone or can't be changed, those sorts of things. So I agree. I think it's a double-edged sword. People mm. want a magic pill, but at the same time, they've got to take personal responsibility. So when we can get people to accept that, then we can show them how they indeed do that through some of our techniques. It's interesting you should say that, you know, it's not genetic. I look at a lot of the people that I work with, um, have their emotional eaters mm. and so they'll go on diets or they'll do different you know protocols and they'll follow different regimes and they'll lose the weight because their um, their willpower is so strong and their desire is so strong because when a lot of people get to the end of their tether with it they're just willing to do whatever it's going to take mm. and they'll do that they'll get the weight off but you know, if there's an emotional situation that occurs, which inevitably it does because that's the nature of being alive, they'll have something trigger them and then, of course, they just spiral back down but they end up putting on more weight than what they had lost yeah. and it just becomes this vicious cycle and I think a lot of people have um, settled into a belief system that 
my problems around my weight or my problems around my health or my problems around my mental and emotional state and my mental and emotional health and well-being, it's genetic. My mum had it, my dad had it, my auntie had it, her mother had it, blah, blah, blah. So they tend to look back generations to find where the start was as opposed to recognising, and this is one of the things I'm so keen to talk to you about, because as much as we can see that there have been generations that have suffered before us, the truth of the matter still remains that here we are in this generation here today right now and what are we doing about it in order to either solve the problem for ourselves or break the cycle. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. You know, on one hand, we do have family patterns, but that's all they are is a pattern that's been taught. And I think teasing that out or helping our clients understand a pattern doesn't mean genetic DNA kind of, you know, contributions. We now talk epigenetics, so information that's around DNA in each cell, but that's highly changeable and can be affected by lots of different therapy techniques. So getting them to kind of understand that just because your mum was like that and your grandma was like that and so was her grandma, that that's just a pattern that's been taught and because we're hypnotic in those first decade that we just copy exactly what our parents do. So that kind of, you know, nature versus nurture. It's, a, it's an interesting, I guess, you know, conversation to have with our patients and clients. But ultimately what we're trying to do is, is when they can take that personal responsibility, then they can be empowered and we can show them how to change that because otherwise, you know, the research does say that if you go on a diet within two years, you'll regain all that weight and you'll get a bonus 20% extra. So, you know, it's hard to kind of argue with the data but at the same time, we've got lots of evidence now that shows we've just got to go a different way about it. So we've kind of got to, we've got to let go of the it's genetic kind of debate because I think that's easier for people to come back to or fall back to because if they don't know the answer or the solution, it's, it's more socially acceptable to kind of say, well, look, it's in my genes and, you know, the whole three generations of women in the family have all been the same. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, you can't do anything about it. Mm. So it's sort of, it's almost time to move past that, but at the same time offer what they can use to actually make changes. Do you think also that, you know, going away from weight loss mm. and um, exercise and things like that, but trauma mm. in people's life and, and daily stress. So let's take our, our beautiful Miss Karen, you know, she's, she's a Bali bombing survivor, mm-hmm. um, you know, so a lot of trauma was in her life. And if you read her story, uh, you know, that first couple of years after it all happened, it was really hard on her. Yeah. So can, you know, these techniques help with trauma, daily stress, things like that? Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, we've had such a spotlight shone on, you know, the adverse childhood experiences study that was done 20 odd years ago. But now we have so much information around, you know, 20 years on, 30 years on, how those people um, have been affected, you know, not only at a chronic health level but through trauma, that trauma is yeah, can de- define people's lives. We now have research and studies of the babies that were born, the mums were pregnant in 9-11. So we now have, you know, the research that's showing those babies and what's happened to them. And we know trauma can be passed through generations. So trauma changes cellular structure and if it's not dealt with, is passed on. So babies are born, say 9-11, that's a good example of 
women who were pregnant during that 9-11 that then went on to have their babies, their stress threshold in those babies was um, set artificially high and stayed high. So it didn't take as much with those children now that are coming into their teens, doesn't take as much to set them off for that cortisol kind of expression or because it was sort of, you know, changed at that epigenetic level in the beginning. The answer, I guess, Cindy, to that question is it can absolutely be impacted for the positive, as in people can overcome trauma. But I think, again, until people have got the skills or the tools, sometimes they're just not sure what to do. I actually had an ex-boyfriend in the Bali bombing as well and have been able to reconnect and talk with him about um, what he went through because one of his mates died and the other one ended up a double amputee. So just to talk to people about, you know, in the short-term effects, you know, that follow a tragedy like that, Often it's just survival. It's just, a bit, but it's what happens after that in the years that follow, whether or not you still carry any of that residual. Because what I'm absolutely promising is you can overcome that. You can not pass it on to other generations if you go on to have children, but it's about finding the right tools that will allow you to do that. There's also an unbelievable increase in mental illness here in Australia and mm. around the world. And, you know, it, and this is across the board from autism spectrum disorder to anxiety, depression, um, schizophrenia, um, bipolar. It's, it seems to be multiplying at an, uh, you know, an exponential rate. Mm. How can, can these people be helped Um like you know because I'm a nutritionist I'm always looking at the gut and I'm looking at their diet and I'm looking at their food but it's they need quick fixes for these types of things so when they're in an anxious state or you know they can't get out of bed or you know they're having a manic up or a manic down do does what um you researched help these people as well yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the whole advent of Medicare coming in for psychologists sort of really allowed a lot of people to access therapy that didn't have it, you know, over a decade ago, just because of cost and things like that. So Medicare really, when that came in for psychologists and other allied health, opened up the doors for a lot of people to come. And I think what we saw was probably what we thought was a massive increase in diagnosis of all these disorders. When, when we've stood back, sometimes we're not sure if it's actually an accurate increase because it might just be that suddenly people that were suffering out there in silence in the community that really couldn't access anything now were able to, so they were being counted in the statistics. So we've kind of got maybe two things happening here, that one, they were able to access, but then two, we have such a different world now to when we all grew up even. You know, I have two teenage girls and what they grow up with now in their social media kind of 24-7, everything's on, bigger populations in the world, that kind of thing. It's different to what we grew up with. So the stimulation uh, that they're getting and the increase in anxiety is way different to what we had 25, 35 years ago. So I think we've kind of got two things. where We have a different world with what people are coping with, but two, I think Medicare opened up and allowed so many more people to come in and access counselling. And I think we're getting better. I'm not saying all of the mental health fields, but some of us are really focusing on how to help these people 
quickly because like you said if they're having a panic attack or they wake up and they've got agoraphobia and they can't leave the house how do how do those people function how can we do it? and how can we do it without relying on a pill like without relying on medication that might have other side effects or or whatever so yeah so that is what has driven i guess our passion in finding things that really will help people in a much faster way can we talk about um, why you did your PhD um, in the in the field of tapping, and can you talk about what tapping is? Yeah, so tapping is uh, an anecdotal term. It kind of describes the technique. Uh, the the technique itself is called emotional freedom technique, so it's EFT. Um, people don't really know what that means or they think electronic funds transfer, you know, things like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've sort of loosely over the decade sort of started referring to this thing as tapping because what it does is describes that we stimulate acupoints, acupressure points um, on the face and top half of the body just with a gentle tapping technique like tapping with two fingers. Um, so that's sort of how it's ended up being called that and a lot of people you know, even if they just Googled tapping, that that is what would come up. So for me, it was probably about 18 years ago now that, um, and it was very new, I think um, Karen said in the beginning, it was weird. Like it was so outside the square, we were kind of hiding behind, you know, brick pillar fences because we didn't want people to know what we were doing. But there was colleagues and I that were searching for other things within, I guess, the therapy space that would help our patients. And I was very much working with traditional eating disorders, so anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, not so much binge eating because it wasn't as kind of prevalent as it is now, but trying to find techniques because I guess we felt really ineffective. And so back in the day of dial-up internet, I don't know if you remember how slow that used to be, but um, my my colleague was very patient and he used to look things up. And he came across it and kind of said, look, there's this thing in the US, Um, it's really weird, but I think there's something in it. And I kind of just ignored him for a few months. (laughs) But then got to a place where I'm like, you need to tell me about what's this thing you've been looking up. And that's, um, so it had come out of America. It had come out of an engineer in America who had been looking for his own kind of techniques, been looking at lots of sort of things in that Eastern philosophy, acupuncture, massage, that kind of thing. And that's where this tapping came from. So yeah, we started to explore it here. I was in my normal academic job and about 15 years ago now, I said to my boss, look, I need to do some research. I want to research this um, tapping thing. And he just looks at me like with one eyebrow raised and kind of went, what are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, look, just leave it with me. And he's like, nobody's going to come to this trial. And we decided we would do it in the area of obesity just because that was obviously a health focus in Australia. And we thought that would probably be easier to run clinical trials than, you know, people with anorexia. Anyway, so he said, nobody's going to come to your trial. And so I go on one of these current affairs shows to say, we've got free funding, you know, come along, teach how to do this thing for four weeks. And four and a half thousand people rang up. It was insane. So he fell over. He laughed and got 80. Wow. Yeah. We haven't stopped since. (laughs) So that was the very first trial. We're like, holy hell, because I'm demonstrating this technique on, you know, the current affair program and thought people are just going to think I'm a nut. Like, you know, here I am with, you know, PhD in psychology and people are going, who is this woman? And people from New Zealand rang up and said, I want to come over. And what it told us was people were open. And I do find Australians very open in this space, even if, you know, anyone listening kind of goes, I've never heard of that. It sounds strange. Aussies are quite open to trying 
trying something and particularly the more and more evidence there is. Um, so we've had a lot of support as we've sort of been travelling along the years. Oh, that's incredible. So that started, when did you do the study? How, was it 18 years ago when you first started looking into it? Yeah, about 15, 16 years ago. So I kind of played around with it for that first couple of years and we were using it in clinical practice. We were teaching, obviously, people with bulimia nervosa how to kind of curb um, the binge feeling, those sorts of things, self-harm behaviours. And then we launched that first trial and thought, look, let's just teach people a couple of hours a week, uh, tapping on their food cravings, let's see if they lose any weight, followed them up a year later. Um, indeed, the weight that they did lose had never come back and none of the food cravings came back that they did their tapping on. So... It, it blew our mind because we didn't really know what to expect, even though we'd been having success privately, individually with clients. And we've since gone on, we've now kind of run at least eight or nine trials in that food space. But we've looked at this tapping technique for clinical depression, for cigarette smoking, um, for teaching um, young teenagers how to use it for exam anxiety and perfectionism. Um, we've looked at bariatric patients. We've done an fMRI brain study. Like we, we now are kind of clocking up just here in Australia a good kind of 20 clinical trials across a range of different areas, chronic pain, uh, a whole range. So it's been phenomenal, the amount of things you can apply it to. And really if people are kind of wondering, why can you do it for so many different things? It's because what it targets is stress. So it's very much a stress management tool. So because it reduces stress in the body and we now know how it affects the brain, anything that has elements of stress in it, we can use it for. And then, of course, people have perhaps, you know, responses with their health condition or, um, you know, headaches or quit cigarette smoking or food cravings or their chronic pain diminishes or whatever it might be. So just got to kind of keep that in the back of your head that it's just all about how much stress is across so many areas in our life. So Peter, for all of our listeners who um, have experienced tapping or they know what tapping is, I'm sure they're sitting there going, yes, 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 I agree with this, I agree with this. But for the listeners that have got no idea Mm. about what tapping is describe that for us so that we can get a bit of a sense of what it is how it works yeah. um because i think us being able to wrap our heads around how tapping works yeah yeah in and of itself is going to be a mystery <laughs> that's right and particularly just listening rather than having a visual so tapping as a stress sort of management technique or stress reduction tool very much um is based on the premise that we actually have to be quite present-minded and mindful, if you like. Most people know mindfulness is about being in that present moment. So we only do tapping when we have a problem. Um, and let's just talk for the moment about perhaps, you know, you feel stressed. So that's just an easy thing to do. Uh, what we do is we ask people, okay, if you had to uh, rate that level of intensity of feeling stressed right now, say 10 was the highest that you would give it, like that's my hair's falling out, I'm so stressed, I'm beside myself or zero would represent, no, I'm completely calm. So if that naught to 10, you know, just guess a number out of 10, most people would kind of go, look, it's about a seven. And then what we do with tapping is we actually acknowledge that stress feeling. Or if someone's doing, they've got a headache and they want to do tapping on a headache, they actually acknowledge the headache. So it's very much a technique that instead of 
trying to reframe or think more positively or pretend that's not happening. We do the opposite, which almost is a bit counterintuitive to a lot of people. So we actually say the words, even though I feel really stressed at the moment. And most people kind of go, doesn't that like implanted in my brain and hardwire it more, that kind of thing. But because we add the tapping on certain pressure points, and I'll walk through them in a moment, because we tap on pressure points while we say the words, the part in the brain, the amygdala there that sends out that response, which is quite close to the memory center and all part of that emotional area, that in brain scan studies, when you do the tapping as you engage the brain, it calms the amygdala down. So what we see in a brain scan is as someone's doing tapping, even though they've initially engaged the brain by saying, I feel really stressed, the brain starts to calm down, which then means they get the physiological response of feeling calm now. And that number out of 10 obviously decreases. So they'll start to go, oh, actually feel a bit more clear in the way I'm thinking or no I feel more relaxed or actually I don't feel stressed like I did 10 minutes ago that kind of thing so if you like I'll just walk through the pressure points that we tap on they're always the exact same eight pressure points and we can even teach this to children as young as four so we do um, actually do quite a lot of work with little ones we simplify it with them and just do a couple of points less but for the average kind of teen that's 10 years and older these are the pressure points so if you just take two fingers Peter, just yeah. before you start how did they come up with these points <laughs> so so tapping's been around now for over 40 years yeah. so it came out of the acupuncture field um so people that were studying in acupuncture has been around for thousands of years and certainly in Chinese medicine we know that certain acupressure points on the body if you go and have traditional acupuncture are known to be associated with certain health conditions that kind of thing when the engineer Gary Craig came along and kind of was doing his own exploratory sort of stuff and was looking at all of that he surmised what if we just simplified it and picked just sort of common eight pressure points that are on the body we always use those I wonder if that would be enough. And he, it turned out he was right. He didn't do any research. He was just teaching it to lots of people. We've now got, you know, two decades worth of research that shows just having those eight points is enough. You don't need to. People might know of other acupuncture points if they're, you know, familiar with that, but you only need roughly these eight and you, you always get the same outcome. So does that answer but definitely. I just always wondered where did they yeah. get that? But now I yeah, didn't realise the acupressure. Yeah, but it's not magic. Okay. No, no. <laughs> Let's talk about them now. Yeah, sure. So the point that we use um, on the face, so we just do the start of the eyebrow. So you might just sort of with two fingers from your dominant hand, just tap at the start of the eyebrow where the hair starts there and you don't feel anything. So it's just a gentle tapping process. What we say though when we're tapping is the feeling or whatever it is that we've got going on. So if I use my stress example, I might tap there and say, I feel stressed, that type of thing. If we are tapping on a food craving, because we have do a lot of those in our trial, what they're tapping on is the food craving. So they're like, this chocolate cake, you know, the craving. So it's always about saying exactly what's going on for you. So that's the first one. The second one is the side of the eye. So just sort of where it dips in there. The next one is under the eye, on the bone, so just under. And you can use any side of the body here. You can just pick one side. The next one is under the nose. And, again, as we're tapping there, we're still just saying that short 
phrase, I feel stressed, whatever it might be. The next one is the crease of the chin. So just under the lips, crease of the chin. The next one is about if you come to the end of your collarbone, so we're top half of the body now, just come down about an inch under one of the collarbone ends. We tap there. The next one is under the arm. So for most women, if you're wearing a bra, it tends to be that top bra strap, but otherwise it's about four inches under your armpit. So we just tap there. And the last one we tap on is the centre of the head. So just where the crown comes up, we just tap the centre of the head there. And so that's what we constitute. There's eight points there around of tapping. So we would do that with someone. Then we would sort of say, look, just take a deep breath. Now, tell me how you feel now, that type of thing. So we're always getting that feedback to sort of say, look, how does it feel now? Do you want to give it a number out of 10? That type of thing. And most people might do five or six rounds of tapping on those eight points and then sort of say, yeah, no, I feel a bit more distant now from what my problem is or I can think more clearly or my food cravings decreased, actually don't want to eat the chocolate cake anymore or the pain that I had in my knee is okay, that type of thing. So yeah, anything that's got stress kind of as a contributor certainly responds with the tapping. And can you tell us, Peter, from a children's point of view, because my children, they've experienced this and the therapist that worked with us, the psychologist, she had a tapping bear sitting there that the kids saw where the buttons were or where the, the spots were. Is it the same eight points for children? You said something before that you may not need to use as many. Yeah, so children up to about the age of 10, um, we simplify it down to four points only. So still taking from the eight, we just do start of the eyebrow, under the eye, they make a closed fist and do those ones under the collarbone like Tarzan. So they use both hands and then they just cross over and tap under both arms like they're hugging themselves. So we just do those four points, start of the eyebrow, under the eye, the collarbone ones and then under the arms. and all the kind of outcomes show that they really only need those four points to get outcomes because they're still in those hypnotic kind of brainwave states and they respond much more quickly. They haven't had all those years of repeating their patterns in life (laughs) like adults have. So they often only need two or three rounds of tapping and most of them kind of jump up and run off and laugh and, you know, go, oh, I'm okay now, that type of thing. And we use bears, like you said. We've got a relationship with Build a Bear in Australia that supply all our tappy bears and they can go and get them clothes and things from Build a Bear. But we can use those bears with little ones to sort of say, look, you know, the bear's got magic points and if you tap on them, he feels better. Now can we find those points on you, the magic spots, those types of things. And there's loads of children's books out there that really help them with tapping as well. There's been so much talk of tapping, especially with a gentleman, Nick Ortner, who brought out the Tapping Summit, and we've seen so many conversations now had around it. Peter, is it really that simple that we can stop our stress, our cravings, our weight issues by tapping on eight points, four to five to six rounds, eight rounds? Is it really that simple? The simple answer is yes. (laughs) As crazy as it sounds, yes. It's that simple. <laughs> I think what we do as humans is we, we're programmed for things to be more complicated. And like we said earlier, sometimes we think or we've lived patterns in our life where we make things harder, we sabotage things, that type of thing. So we think surely it has got to be more difficult than this. And the reality is it doesn't. It's that simple. Sometimes when we work with trauma, obviously it's best done with an expert 
because there may be more guidance needed, of course, with that kind of thing. But ultimately, as long as you can get your head around, I've actually got to say what my problem is. That's the hardest thing for people to remember. You have to actually state what it is. Don't say a positive affirmation or something like that. Say what the problem is while you do the tapping. It's that simple. That's amazing. It could save a lot of money for yeah. people, couldn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can you tell me or share with us um, some of your greatest outcomes that have happened using tapping? Can you share any stories with us over different clients or different oh, outcomes? Yeah. yeah, for sure. So most of our research has been in the food weight space just because that's my background as well. And I'll talk a little bit about those but then some of the other areas. So probably, you know, out of our clinical trial research, which is a bit dry and boring sometimes, but it gives us the evidence, the biggest thing that we've shown is one just tapping for eight weeks and we just do two hours a week at our uh, clinic at the university. So that's just sort of 16 hours over that eight weeks. We've just done the first two-year follow-up of that group that went through that. Um, so this is the longest follow-up that's ever been done of tapping. Um, we've also done the brain scan trial looking at those people as well. So two years later, so not only do your food cravings drop off over that eight weeks, I mean, that's pretty standard because you're working in the group and you've got the therapist, but two years later, none, zero of the food cravings for all of those people had come back. So like as far as sort of a landmark like we're quite used to these outcomes now, but to sort of say two years later, these people lose weight, of course, all those things, but none of the food cravings come back to the point where they can't remember what food they did their tapping on. And we know why that happens because the brain is able to kind of form a new neurological pathway when something's not in your focus anymore. So it's kind of like, you know, the Hebeans principle that neurons that fire together wire together. So if you don't think about that Kit Kat or the ice bun anymore, then it's just not there. So the brain rewires a different pathway. So they don't remember. Two years later, they're like, I don't remember that I used to eat that food. And of course, we have a full record. And it's like, you were eating 10 Kit Kats a day. They're like, was I? Oh, I don't really buy them anymore. <laughs> you just sort of laugh. You go, um, okay, great. <laughs> so our research, no matter what we do, shows, shows that. But that first two year, that's being published at the moment, really does show the longevity of how long, because people go, oh, how long does it last? You know, if I do tapping now, sure, I might feel a bit more relaxed, but, you know, will it last? And so I can definitively say it lasts. It lasts, like all our other trials, we do six, 12-month follow-up. But, you know, two years later, these people are, are still going strong. So if I tell you just one case comes to mind, uh, of it was actually a gentleman. So we always get way more females than men that come through our trials. That's just the nature of you know, women, you know, friend and befriend, like they kind of do that sort of seeking out. But it's always nice when we have males that come through. So we had this gentleman, he came in, he was in his 60s. So he'd certainly um, had a weight problem his whole life. So we did, we always do group therapy. So they all get to benefit from each other. But what's quite funny is they all have to bring their food into the group because we do exposure therapy. We really want them to tap on what they do have as their craving. So it's quite funny, six o'clock at night, you know, we've got this great variety of food sitting in the, um, the therapy room. And so he brings in a whole barbecue chicken cooked. You can imagine how fantastic this smelled in the group. So most people have chocolate. He has a roast chicken. And we're like, oh, okay. And he goes, I eat one of these every day. And we're like, oh, okay. Well, um, that's probably why you've got a bit of a weight problem, but whole barbecue chicken 
and he had no idea why, but he loved it. So we thought, okay, well, we'll just do what we know. We don't know what we're just tapping on the craving aspects. Anyway, so tap, tap, tap away about whatever it was that he loved. And then he stops and everyone's sort of looking at him and he said, I've just remembered something. And we're like, do you want to share? And he said, I've just remembered when I first started to eat roast chickens. And we're like, okay, great. Because sometimes there will be a memory like that, not always. Um, but sometimes food is quite powerful and emotional, like you said earlier. So there is a, an anchor or a connection. And he remembered. So what he was able to do through the tapping was calm the brain down so that the memory could come up. He said, I was about seven or eight years of age, big family, you know, half a dozen brothers and sisters, not a lot of money. And it was his birthday. And he said his mum had said to him, you get to pick the dinner, the special meal. What would you like me to cook for dinner for your birthday? Um, I don't think he was getting a birthday present at that point. And he said, I'd like a, you know, roast chicken dinner. And she went, oh, yep, okay. She said, are you sure you don't want something more special? And he said, no, I just want a roast chicken dinner, but I want to eat the whole thing myself and not share it with any of the siblings or the family members. And so she actually did that for him. So I guess, you know, as a gesture of love, as mums do, gave him what he wanted and he was able to eat the whole roast chicken and all the vegetables by himself and not share them with any siblings, which was highly unusual. But what it did for him was cemented this incredibly powerful emotion, but it was attached to the roast chicken more so than perhaps attached to a positive emotion that my mum did something really special for me that birthday. And so what he'd been doing since the age of eight was trying to replicate the feeling that was attached to that very positive emotion for him and he kept trying to find it in a barbecue chicken. So it was such a profound moment and the group kind of was all... And he was able to use tapping to process that so that he could still feel positive and love towards his mother that had given him that, but it didn't have to be through the roast chicken. And he was one of the guys that from that moment forward did not eat another barbecue chicken for all the follow-ups that we did. He, he lost the desire, but he was still able to obviously retain the positive feelings um, about the birthday. So like story after story after story like that have come through the trials. And I certainly have written about them in the book that just came out, but it's just powerful to see it in action and kind of see someone have that penny drop into place and work out where this came from and be able to let that go at a very deep unconscious level but without any kind of trauma or, or anything like that. Karen, can I ask you, you know how you we've said in previous podcasts that, that human beings love drama, fear, negativity, stories, um, gossip, like there's that whole thing around the psychology of, of humans. If this is so simple, why is not everybody doing it? Uh, I just want to ask Karen her thoughts on that and then maybe Peter can, can let us know too. But I'd be interested on your thoughts, Kaz. Yeah, well, I think, you know, people are drawn to certain things at the time that they're drawn to it. You know, I think a lot of people don't know the tapping exists. A lot of people or some people may not believe that it's a strategy that works, which is why I think what Peter's doing is so powerful because it's bringing science and um, what's potentially been known as woohoo, it's bringing it together and giving it a scientific basis, which I guess allows people to give it more credibility. I think in mainstream, we've 
you know, there's certainly been those that have been more willing to try an alternative process. But a lot of the population is still very much about um, prove to me that it works and prove to me that it works instantly. And, um, you know, if it doesn't work, then I'm going to say that it's a, it's a crock of fooey. So I, I just think that there's that. But then the other side of things too, I like to look at life from a bit of a spiritual perspective as well. And I think when the student is ready, the teacher appears. So I think when people are ready to go down a certain path, they find it and they discover it for themselves. And for the people who are listening to this podcast and thinking, wow, you know, that's one strategy I haven't tried before, but I'm sure that that could work for me, then they'll probably be more willing to give it a go now that they're listening to this podcast because the timing is perfect. I don't know, Peter, what are your thoughts on Kimmy's question? She always asks the best questions, by the way. (laughs) I think you're right at some level. We're hardwired for danger. Like that evolutionary part of the brain really hasn't kind of caught up to modern times. I don't know that it ever ever will because we need to be alert and aware. So I do think people replicate that in modern life by looking for dramas in their life or always having a crisis, that kind of thing. And maybe that's what they learnt growing up. I've seen in the last decade, because obviously I'm kind of on the inside world of the tapping kind of EFT area, that we, I I do think, you know, that we're at, and I'll use the pun, at a tipping point, um, that it is being, it's kind of starting to roll out in big waves now, whereas 10, 15 years ago we were kind of doing it under the table and kind of going, what would people think of us? But now it's almost, yeah, it's becoming more mainstream for those that are embracing it like we've had the national institute of clinical excellence in the uk they're the most conservative medical body have approved this tapping for um government funding for ptsd we've had the canadian psychotherapy association approve it for all their registered psychotherapists to use and i think sometimes um the veterans affair um, organization in America approve it for all returning war vets, like it's covered under their rebate system. But so, it probably won't be accepted in Australia because we're getting well, think, rid of all the natural therapies, yeah, aren't we? Yeah. I've yes. seen all the, yeah, yes. hopefully that review might help. Mm. Um, and I agree. I think a lot of people perhaps that need more evidence, like Karen said, will wait until a big government body kind of goes, yep, we're okay with that. Or and, and others, it, they won't need that evidence. They'll just sort of, you know, maybe hear a podcast, read a book and kind of go, I'm going to give this a go, get an outcome and then go, oh, wow, I don't know how it works, but it did. And I think that is happening for a lot of people. We now have so many medical practitioners that refer. We can't keep up with the referrals in um, Queensland that are happening for this, for tapping, for EFT, for psychologists that are trained in it. So I do think that we're going to get to the point where, yeah, I, I think in our lifetime we will see it covered. It's happening elsewhere around the world and Aussies just like to wait to see what the Americans do and then they'll approve it like they did with EMDR, the eye movement. Um, once America approved that, Australia did as well. Peter, can I give you a scenario? Yeah. Your things you've talked about so far, food cravings, um, stress, um, physical um, things like a, you know bulimia and things like that, they're all physical um, conditions. Mm. What if I was someone who's really hurt? Their their partners had an affair. We've lost a whole lot of money. Life sucks, yep. and I don't know where I sit anymore. How would tapping create abundance and love in my world again if it had just been crushed in a way that mm. I actually saw it? Would it support me? 
Absolutely. And I think that's the word to use. It would support you. So I would, if I was working with someone like that, sort of I'd ask them, what do you want to, what's the most important thing here you'd like to change? And I'd let them pick one. Maybe it was the feeling of betrayal after the affair. So just narrow it down to one thing at one time. And I would help them obviously with the tapping on those feelings so that they can get some space and distance from perhaps a feeling like that overwhelming them because the moment you're not overwhelmed by those kind of big feelings you're able to think more clearly make different decisions and then think of it as a jigsaw puzzle if that's what life looked like at the, at the moment we would just progressively over time work through the different pieces of the puzzle that complete the picture now the thing with tapping is Anything in those puzzle pieces that are related to each other will get a response whether you tap on them or not. And that's what we call a generalization effect. So someone doesn't have to tap on every single bad thing in their life and they'll find that if there's anything that's related to each other, they can just tap on one thing and something else responds. So that feeling I had of, you know, when my sister betrayed me, that went away as well, but all I tapped on was my ex-husband. So that's quite neat. That doesn't happen in a lot of other therapy approaches that you have to work on things one by one for what they are. But in tapping anything that's got a similar underlying foundation responds, which is kind of cool because you actually get sort of a roll-on effect and it means you know, have to keep tapping for the rest of your life. I'm thinking we all could have done with quite a lot of tapping <laughs> after Dr. Jack Cruz's <laughs> right, uh, <it's> interview. We yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have group therapy. Yeah. <laughs> I, wonder what, I wonder what happens if it's like meditation, when you have thousands of people all tapping, if it changes mm. the dynamic of yes. Yeah, energy. Well, you know, the original um, explanations of tapping were all about energy and the body's meridian systems and it was a bit kind of it was a bit kind of gray because people back 20 years ago didn't quite know how to explain it but you know the body's got energy and perhaps it was having some effect we now know we've got much more kind of physiological responses that happen but yeah you know um what's her name lynn I'll think of her name in a moment, who does the power of eight experiments with meditation around the world and they scientifically measure um, whether a group of people that are actually meditating has an effect on what it is that they're meditating and they've actually been able to scientifically show changes and differences. So I think there's a whole lot we don't understand at a quantum physics level of how these things all interact. That invisible magnet I talked about before, you know, may well change and shift because I tap on myself only but my interaction then with somebody else is different so yeah it's good I love it I love it and I think for many people listening I think we'll all be able to perhaps seek out a therapist that's trained in this and actually do some work on ourselves without having to expose ourselves or empty our souls Mm. um, to the point where we I, I feel like a lot of people fear going to therapy in fear of having to unload and unpack a whole lot of stuff that maybe they haven't wanted to or have hidden from the mind. Would we have to unpack everything in order to to change the neurological pathways or like you said before with the generalized generalization effect that it would actually support us even if we touched the the icing on the cake, so to speak? Yeah, the, definitely that generalisation effect, which is quite unique, has a profound effect. So people don't have to like spend years, say, um, particularly with trauma, they've had repeating traumas, they don't actually have to go back and, and tap on all of them. The other thing about tapping, particularly in the hands of an expert, so if you go and seek someone who's trained, 
is there's a certain way of doing tapping where the patient or the client themselves doesn't actually have to tell the therapist the story, which means it's quite a safe, private way for someone to perhaps process something that has shame involved or anything like that or a story they've never, ever told anyone, that they can still be guided through with tapping without actually ever saying what the story is out loud for anyone to know, which I think is profoundly important for a lot of people and we even do that as demonstrations in our trainings we I now we train health professionals and we actually do it as a live demonstration where we say I don't want you to tell me what the story is but I'm going to show you how to process this in silence but at the same time get that same effect of you know feeling free by the end of it and I do think that that's really important because that's hard to do in many other cognitive therapies that you have to speak and you have to talk. But we know that the brain doesn't function well when you're in that heightened stress state. So to still be able to tap but not have to say any words, I think is really important and valuable. So the answer is absolutely. If anyone really did want to go and work on something but didn't want to tell the story, know that you can absolutely do that with tapping. Okay, so here's another question. Sorry to just butt in there, girls. I just had one more to ask. Can anyone do harm with tapping if you went to the wrong person or if it was out of sequence or if you said the wrong things? Can we go the other way with tapping? Yeah, it's really interesting. I've just been writing today a keynote. I'm doing a a conference talk in a couple of weeks on the science behind tapping. And in the talk, what I was writing about, because that question does come up, and I think it is important, that there's been one study done of over a thousand subjects. So people that went through tapping, zero adverse effects occurred for any of those thousand people. So it's just sort of a snapshot to show you. But basically, in the hands of knowing what you're doing, so you have learned how to do it properly uh, or seeing an expert that's actually trained in it, the chance of anything negative happening are almost zero. The only thing I like to kind of point out to people because, and um, I think Karen mentioned it earlier, there's so much available now on the internet and YouTube and you could literally Google tapping in YouTube and have 5 million videos come up. But if someone was brand new to tapping, decided to have a go with a video and obviously that person is not live, they're talking to you, it's just a recording. And if they started to do tapping and felt they were getting quite emotional, often that leaves people in a state where they're not sure what to do next. But what it flags is tapping's actually worked. It actually has brought something to the surface. It's just that that novice at the other end of the computer screen hasn't had anyone to talk to and doesn't know how to use tapping to continue obviously processing that. So that's the only caveat that I give. I say to people, look, if you have a go on a YouTube video and find that you get really emotional, it actually means it's working and you probably should go and see someone to get more support. Um, But as far as what the research is showing, when you're processing properly and with someone and it's completed, there's literally no negative side effects that occur. Oh, that's incredible that, that, that we're able to do this. I, I just want to mention to everybody who is listening that you will be speaking at my summit, the Functional Nutrition mm-hmm. Academy Summit in July on the Sunshine Coast. So, you know, if you want to, are, are you going to do a demonstration like that? Peter? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Oh. So everybody attending on the day, I think I've got a couple of hours, we are going to do tapping on a couple of different things and I'm going to show them and so that you can actually get an outcome while you're sitting there and listening. Oh, I'm really looking forward to it. I also want to talk about um, your book and 
who wrote your forward. Yeah. Um, one of my most favourite mentors of all, which is Dr. Joe Dispenza. So first of all, congratulations on your book, but triply congratulations on getting him to write your forward. That is just, you must, you know, must. Do you want to know how it happened? Yeah, yes, I do. Please tell me. And this is a, nobody knows this story really. So you're first up to hear this. So a couple of years ago, we had bought Joe out for, we run a conference every two years, Mind Heart Connect. And so we, we just asked him out of the blue. I'd followed his work for a long time in that meditation space. And lo and behold, he said yes. Like we couldn't believe that, you know, we're this tiny startup conference. And he's like, yeah, I'll come to that and I'll speak. And we're like, wow, okay. So we're on the last day of the conference and obviously chatted to him over the weekend, got to kind of know him a little bit. And him and I were both free. We weren't um, needed for anything. Everyone's in their workshops. So we're just having a coffee. And Joe turns to me and he says, you should write a book. And I get like, I've already written three other books over the years. And I'm like, what do you mean? What am I going to write a book on? <laughs> he says, you know, the science behind all this tapping stuff you do. And I said, and you've already mentioned Nick Ortner, and Nick, Nick's quite a good friend as uh, Jessica and um, his brother Alex who run the Tapping Solution and the Summit every year. Mm. And I said, but Nick's the kind of hay house author in the tapping space. And, and, and Joe just sort of dismisses that and goes, no, no, when I go back to America, I'm going to talk to Reed Tracy, the CEO of Hay House, and I'm going to get you a book contract. And I just laughed, like openly laughed in front of him. <laughs> anyway, so I forget about it. A month goes by, get a phone call from Reed Tracy, and he's like, so I believe you want to write a book. And I, again, laugh and go, no, not really. <laughs> this cannot believe the height of my <laughs> insolence. And he's like, no, no, we think this will really, you know, be complimentary. There's nothing in this area. And I'm like, oh, okay, haven't got time to write a book, but all right. So I write up kind of gruffly what I think should be included in the book. Anyway, and this is written at the back of the book, if, if people get that far in reading it. The day I signed the contract with Hay House, Louise Hay died. Oh. And it was just one of these, I didn't think I would ever meet her because she was in her 90s. This profound moment, it, it came through and I had the contract in front of me. Mm. And I just sort of did a moment of, I just guess in my own mind, of sort of asking for her blessing because, you know, to join her kind of Hay House as a publishing company, you know, it's just phenomenal. And just sort of asked for her blessing and signed it, let it go. Anyway, I went and got in the car and had to drive, stop at a shop on the way to get my girls or whatever. And I got out of the car and I looked down, and I'm not joking, there was like a five or six inch white feather on my shoe. And I looked down and went, oh, there's Louise. Yep, no worries. I'm, I'm good to join the family. <laughs> so, that is the, that's what the white feather means, is that? That's right, angels. Is, angels. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So I just sort of went, oh, oh. And I wrote in, right at the end of the book, I write that story and sort of said, look, you know, take it for what you want. This whole book's about science and then here I am talking about a white feather. But that's sort of what happened. So, of course, I said to Joe, all right, if I have to write this book, you have to write the forward. <laughs> so he went, yeah, of course. And it's really, it's quite good to read his forward. I know a lot of people might skip the forward, but he wrote it while he was on a plane trip, obviously going to one of his meditation retreats. And 
and he does tapping on the plane and he talks about that in the forward and talks about the effect that it has on him. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it's really good to read because he's obviously in the meditation space and um, we've been able to actually help collaborate with some of his EEG analysis and doing a couple of projects together now as well. And, of course, he's back on the Gold Coast in two weeks' time for our Mind Heart Connect again. So, yeah, yes, so I know. He's on, on, yeah. on the Friday and then he, yes, comes, sunshine. Just, he comes down here. Yeah, yeah he's on the yeah. sunny coast and then to you. And yeah. you know what? Congratulations um, on your book. And I just want to make sure that you're going to bring lots of books to Yes, I'll, I will have some. Yeah. And I will, um, uh, I don't actually, I don't think I wrote this in the book, but I will point out that even though I was quite surprised when Joe sort of made the offer, every January I write down kind of goals for the year intentions and I just sort of do it for myself personally, professionally, family life, holidays, those kind of, I just write down what it is that I'd like to kind of achieve. I'm not hard and fixed and I don't meditate on them or anything like that. I went back and 18 months earlier I had written down I have a full Hay House book publishing contract in my diary and I found it and I'd forgotten and I've taken a photo of it and I thought, oh, be careful what you write down for your goals. See, did you tap on, were you tapping on that to get your goal? No, I didn't, Mm. but I used to, but I think I've probably, I mean, I'm 20 years on now tapping, so I think I've tapped on probably something else in my life that... Well, there's the generalisation effect at its best. (laughs) I'm just saying. I know. So there you go. Oh, that's brilliant. I could just talk to you forever. So um, just so all my students here, you won't have Peter at all. I'm going to go have coffee with him. (laughs) (laughs) So where could people get hold of your book, Peter? What's it called and and where's the link and how do we get it? Mm. Yeah, so the book is The Science. For those of us that will be in Paris during her summer (laughs) that we can't be there. Oh, you brat. (laughs) (laughs) So it, it, it officially started to be posted out last week. So that's good the science behind tapping so if you simply google that and my name it is literally everywhere so you know obviously in australia here you can do amazon australia you can do book depository here in australia which is free postage i have heard that it's in bookstores already so locally obviously around the world any of the major websites but also barnes and noble so it literally is showing up everywhere because obviously it has hay house behind it um but yeah, definitely jump on website, have a look. We are giving every free, um, every purchase on my website. So if you just go to peterstapleton.com and then you obviously can go to the science behind tapping, free, four free gifts, just as a, a big thank you for people to obviously enjoy. So there's a couple of free eBooks, but there's a live session of me tapping with my 11 year old daughter. Mm. So no one sees things like that very often anymore of me in action. And she had a piano exam coming up. And so it's a whole session where I tap with her. She has a bear and she's had tapping in her life, obviously, since she was born. But I tell you what happens after that session ends. And then there's a keynote of me that, again, you can't get access to. So those gifts are there. If anyone purchases the book, please go and access them just so that you can see some of those bits and pieces in action as well. I have all of those notes are, will be on the show notes, everything um, so that people can um, go to those. So that's exciting. Great. Thank you. Any last words of wisdom? Yeah. I really hope that we see within within a very short space of time that these types of techniques, and there's certainly more than tapping, but this one's so easy because it's self-applied and little ones can do it, that we see 
that children and teens learn this. It's much easier to teach it when they're younger. But schools are now starting to embrace it. We have whole schools in Australia that every teacher is trained in tapping and we're following them through. That my my hope and my dream, I guess, is that we start to see that's where the system changes and that these children and teens are growing up just knowing how to get rid of stress because I think we'll see that ripple effect with all our health conditions and things within time. That that's what I hold now that, you know, whilst we run lots of these clinical trials, we're really supporting teachers out there in the field. So teachers, for example, in Christchurch, that all those um, children that have been affected by that shooting, we've given them all free access to the training so that the teachers can learn and support the children in the classroom. So that's really what I hold now as a vision, even though I know it can help so many other things that can you just imagine that these young ones go through school and, and grow up and that's just normal. It's just a way of life. That's just what they do to deal with any kind of emotion that they have. Thank you so much for that because um, I, I've gotten goosebumps through this whole thing of the information that you've given us and and now that you, you know, what you've done for the teachers in Christchurch, you know, that you gave away um, the whole training package. So, you know, thank you for your contribution to um, the community and, and to what's happening in the world. So I, I hold your vision. I, I look forward Thanks. to seeing it um, happening too and I also look forward to seeing you in July. Thank you so Thank you. much for, you know, spending this hour with us because it sounds like you're a busy lady with everything that you're doing. No, it's been an absolute pleasure and, and thank you just for allowing me to share my story and, yeah, what's sort of been happening in the world and making research a little bit interesting but how anybody out there can access this tool and and certainly use it for so many different things that it really, truly, and I think that's where the phrase came from originally that EFT stood for emotional freedom and, it, and everyone deserves that. I think it's everybody's birthright that no matter what happens to you, you can change the story. Everybody deserves emotional freedom and this is just one way that we know people can achieve that. So thank you so much for the invitation and it's been lovely. I look forward to July. Mm. Just one last quick little question. <laughs> Here you go. Do you ever manipulate um <laughs> tapping like can we get outcomes that we want with others can we manipulate or support change in others with tapping or is it only <laughs> ourselves i'm just checking <laughs> do you know how many times i've been asked this question <laughs> <laughs> the only one to think the answer is the answer is yes. I don't mean, I'm, I'm going to do my caveat now, that doesn't mean we're manipulating people. The answer is yes, you can do tapping and for someone else to change. So say your partner or your child has, I don't know, an annoying behavioural habit and you're like, oh, I wish that they would stop doing that. But what you have to tap on is yourself. So you actually have to tap on your own reaction. So when we can have people understand that and they're able to calm themselves down, what we find more than, and I've actually done this on my husband and he will never listen to this podcast, so I can tell you. So I've had things in him that have annoyed me greatly, but what I tap on is my reaction to that. And when I don't have the reaction anymore, guess what? He stops doing the behavior. Mm. It's like X-Files. It's like, oh, do you remember? And I've said to him, do you remember you used to, I'll tell you one of them because he'll never listen to this. He's an engineer, so it's a different field. <laughs> he used to end every sentence with hey. Every sentence. 
And it wasn't when we first met. It was just along the way and he started to, I don't really know where he picked it up and he doesn't go to the pub every Friday or anything. So I thought, why are you talking to me like this? So every sentence he would just say, so what do you want for dinner? Hey. So do you want me to make the bed? Hey. And I'm like, what is going on? I was having quite a reaction. So one day I sat down and thought, I can't handle this anymore. But I tapped on my own reaction to that and whatever that meant. And now I can't remember because it was a long time ago. And so it was just all my negative feeling about just the sensation that I would get kind of like the hair stand up on your neck or I, I don't know what it was. So I tapped and tapped and tapped until I felt calm. And to this day, 15 years later, he's never said, hey, on the end of a sentence. That's incredible. I, I've said to him, do you remember he used to say that? And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, I remember. And he goes, eh. and he just walks off. So it happens particularly if you have children and there's behaviour there. Once we can teach parents, you just tap on yourself. But what happens is the dynamic shift almost energetically as well between you because you're not kind of seeking like confirmation bias. You're not seeking that invisible magnet anymore because it's shifted. So because you're not seeking it, it actually stops happening. Mm. It's quite cool. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> we could talk for hours. True mm. mm. that. There's a few people we could work on now, isn't there, girls? <laughs> <laughs> Great session. <laughs> Thank you so much, Peter. This is just amazing. And I'm so excited that there's science in behind this phenomenon now. Um, and we have been tapping as a family for probably a decade now. So I think it's been one of the greatest things we've been able to introduce into our home. Uh, but you just reminded me of the importance of doing it regularly, more regularly. And I think it's a wonderful, wonderful tool. So thank you so much. Thank you. So for all of our listeners, we have had a blast on today's show. Make sure that you check out our gorgeous guest, Dr. Peter Stapleton. Make sure you check out her book, check out her website and get yourself across all the techniques around tapping and start introducing it into your own life and into your family's life. For any questions and comments, head on over to our Facebook page at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat, or you can also go to allthews.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. So make sure that you tune in next week right here on Up for a Chat where you get to become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world one tap at a time. Bye for now, everybody. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.